It's, you are fine, my brother. <laughs> oh, do you love Jesus this morning? <laughs> Those light lights, they can't make up their mind with their up or down. <laughs> I'm just so excited for you guys to be here today. Uh, what a blessing it is to have each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. Um, just want to say how thankful I am to get a break in this outrageous heat. And I'm saying, come on, October. Can somebody say amen with me? <laughs> uh, wow. <clears throat> Praise team, you did an amazing job this morning. Anybody who could not sense the presence of the Lord in this place today. Um, man, your wake will be tonight and we'll come visit you. Because <laughs> it's alive. It's, do you sense that in the room? I mean, it's just tremendous. What a blessing it is to... Nothing is greater than that. That is the most powerful. It's not a force, it's a person. When you sense the Spirit of God, you, we're not talking about some impersonal Luke Skywalker, the force is strong with that one. We're talking about a person that is with us. He said <clears throat> in the Gospels, concluding every Gospel, he gave the Great Commission. A little different wording each time. In the opening of the book of Acts, five times you find the, the sending of the church. And he said, I will never, five times in the, in, the, he, in the Greek, I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. Um, how many of you know that he definitely emphasized that never part? He's, he's with us. That's the whole, the, the, the amazing truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and has come to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just something that we talk about at Christmas or at Advent, but it's something that rings true 365 days a year. 24-7. He is with us. Say that with me right now. Say, He's with us. Look at your neighbor now and say, He's with you. You know, and, and, and to think about the fact that He's with me. He's with us in this room. It's a collective thing. The, the Christianity in the New Testament is all about community. It is not about an individualized kind of Lone Ranger relationship with Jesus. Oh, we've perverted it that way in America. We've made it just me and Jesus kind of a thing. But you know something? When you get Jesus, you get all of his friends. And it's the friends that are the difficult thing to deal with. Relationships are the most... 
Relationships are the most important and the most wonderful, most rewarding, most fulfilling part of this journey we call life, yet they're the most difficult part because we have to figure out how to get along with each other. And, and you know, even in the New Testament, when we start our series next week on the book of Colossians, I'm excited about it. We're going to do five messages on Colossians. It's called Rooted. Everybody say Rooted. Rooted. So next Sunday, we're, starting about, we're talking about Rooted. The, the key verse in the book of Colossians that from which we're using as a springboard to bounce from is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it says, Since you are so, because you've received Christ as Lord, now walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. And when we're rooted in something, we, we have a grounding. We're connected to it. We're, a, a part of us has penetrated something on a, with a depth. And so if we're rooted in Christ, we must recognize that this thing is about community. Because even in Colossians 1, when he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's not even a singular thing. It's not just about having Jesus in me, but it's about, literally, when you read the Greek in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, the mystery that's been hid from ages, but now is revealed to you among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It literally says, Christ in among you all. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't do this without you. Now, I know some of you in the room would like to think that you can, and sometimes I thought that, but I want you to recognize this morning that the most important thing that we can grab hold of is that God has not only given us his son, but he's given us each other so that we can be a strength, we can be a support, we can, we can build up. And human nature that can come into play so many times has a way of wrestling with those things where we start to use our mouths for destructive forces instead of constructive things. Jesus hung on the cross in Hebrews 12 said he endured the contradiction of sinful men. Contradiction, contra against, diction, word, words that were spoken against him, contradiction. He, all kinds of allegations and accusations, untrue. False things were said about him, and Jesus endured it, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Greek word agnoeo, we get our English word ignorance from it. Jesus, forgive them because they're ignorant. I mean, you know, we have to have some of that kind of forgiveness for each other. Father, forgive them. They just don't know. They're agnoeo. They, they, don't really, they didn't know they offended me. They didn't know they hurt me. They didn't know, you know, that they, they didn't think righteously in terms of how they were passing judgment. They didn't use this thing, this little member right here that can set on fire the whole course of Genesis. Everything God is working to put together in the way of blessing in your life, you can undo it and set it on fire with this little thing right here. Now, this is the last in a message we've been doing four parts called One Thing. And One Thing is all about priority and I think priority is so critical because the one area where we are truly equal, we are not equal in terms of the wealthy families or impoverished families to which we were born. We're not equal with intelligence. Some people in this room are smarter than others. We're not equal athletically. Some people are fast and they're, man, they're, they're strong and they, they have the ability to move and hand-eye coordination is phenomenal. It was developed early. Others of you are analytical. Others of you are musical. Others of you are artistic. Others of you can take herbs and spices and meat, and you can put combinations together that'll just make me want to slap my mama. I'm just kidding, mama. Mm. 
Some of you have giftings and abilities that are, that are just absolutely indescribable. And I'm thankful to God for that because in this room, in, in among this crowd, in this little church as it's growing, and I, don't, I no longer put the word little in front of it because God wants to do big things. He wants to do great things in this congregation and not for it to stay a little flock, but for his influence to be extended into the delta and his government and his peace and the increase of his kingdom Go out of this place. Literally, that we could be so bold, bodacious. Literally, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Audacious in our hope that from this little obscure place, this little cave of Adullam, out here in the middle of nowhere, that God could sanctify hope in the hearts of some people and that it could actually begin to believe the promises that God gave to Abraham that we could not just be blessed, but we could be blessed to be a blessing so that all the families of the earth could be blessed because of what God's doing down on the inside of your life as an individual, but not just by yourself. I'm bringing it always back, weaving this thing of us being a community of faith, a collective group of believers that are doing this thing together, that we're not just doing church. I'm so sick of church. I'm so sick of all the religion. I'm sick of the ridiculous requirements. Pharisaism is still alive and well 2,000 years later. It comes in all kinds of Heinz 57 varieties and flavors, any particular denominational persuasion you want to put on it. And unless you think we're better because we call ourselves non-denominational, our variety of Pharisaism can be the most elusive, subtle kind because we think we don't have all the stuff planned out, but yet we kind of get in the rut of doing everything the same way. And my God, don't change it because you sure will make some people lose their freaking minds over it if you change something. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, don't just take, take, like Thomas Jefferson, take your penknife out and scratch out all of the miraculous things about Jesus. Pull out anything that God's going to do a new thing, because he's always, you know, don't, don't ruffle any feathers. Jesus never did do the same miracle twice, even when he healed blind people. Every one of them in the scripture, he did it a different way. One thing, we're talking about priority. One area where we are equal is the fact that we all have 24-hour days with seven days in each week. We all have to grasp this principle of the kingdom of God called priority. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God. Everybody say first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. And in this series, we've driven home this point. Say this after me. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. Now let's do it together. Here we go. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. One more time. Let's do it with a, with a real gusto. Come on. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. The context of Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about food and shelter and clothing and your life itself. And he says, don't take any thought for that because God clothed the grass of the field. He made the lilies more beautiful than any garment Solomon ever had in his courts. No no sparrow falls from the sky. No hair on your head is unnumbered. God says, I'm going to see to it. You've got your mouth, water to drink. I'm going to see that you're taken care of. If you will let your heart break for the things that break my heart, God says, 
If you will seek first my government in your life, my order, my, the peace will come. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. His kingdom is when we start to say, Jesus, be king over every area of my life. It is not just religious fire insurance. It is not just, do I have a get out of hell free policy? So much Southern churchianity is about, did I shake the preacher's hand? Did I sign the card right? Did I kneel long enough? Did I go down there and do business with God so that if I died today that I would stand before Him and He would let me in and give me my mansion on the corner of Glory and Hallelujah Boulevards? And I'm telling you, the focus is not even. I'm telling you, eternity is important. It is critical. But God wants to do something in your life right now. The sweet by and by will take care of itself. God wants to demonstrate His power and His glory in your life in the nasty, nitty-gritty now and now. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, right now. now. That's the word of the Lord. Priority. Look at your notes. And let's get our text. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? If you don't remember that cheer from junior high school, I don't know where it came from. It just, bam, right there. And sometimes I don't edit things. Did somebody just say we know that? Get this. Look at your notes. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Paul said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. We're going to explain that in a moment and get the whole text. I'm going to take time in a moment to read the whole chapter of Philippians 3. He says, but one thing I do. Say that with me. But one thing I do. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the mark. I press toward the goal. I'm so used to quoting King James, I just jumped it without even reading it. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Bow your heads with me. Gracious God and Father, thank you that Jesus is our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you, you suffered for us. You became the propitiation for our sins. The wrath of God was rolled upon you for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We stand before you today, not in our own righteousness, but Lord in yours. And we thank you that the word says by your finished work that now we stand before you holy and blameless in your sight. Lord, we are becoming what we already are. What you are doing in us, Christ's work for us is complete. Christ's work in us, we are in process. And thank you, Lord, that you're doing that. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in us will finish it, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, until we see you face to face. Take this word and this service, open our ears and our eyes, and help us to understand and perceive Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. I acknowledge before you that I can't do anything, but with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Move in this place today. Touch hearts. Save sinners. Deliver believers from bondage. Reconcile marriages. Set us free from sin. 
In Jesus' name I pray. All of God's people said, amen. Everybody say priorities. We're talking about priorities. Priorities is all about this whole concept of one thing. David said, and, and Alex did an amazing job kicking this series off for me. We were in Florida on our vacation in Destin for a couple of days and so blessed because we left before the tar balls rolled in. And we went on down to Orlando and had some great poolside time and read and prayed and just had some great fellowship and wonderful time. And, and Alex kicked that off, did a great job from Psalm 27, verse 4. The Bible says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. King James says, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the courts of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire of his, in his temple and to behold his beauty. The one passion. He preached on the principle of passion. The second one, the second week, just a real quick series recap. We went to John 9. We talked about the man who was born blind. And the disciples immediately were asking Jesus whose fault it was. And Jesus said, guys, you're asking the wrong question. It's not about blame. It's not about who sinned here. But it's, this is for the glory of God. Now just hide and watch because Jesus says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to show myself. I'm going to reveal the glory of the Lord here. Jesus spits in some mud. He makes a cake, and he puts it on the man's eyes. He sends him back into his routine of blindness with mud this time on him, and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and he comes back seeing because he obeys. And the blind man says, you know, I don't know who this Jesus is. All you Pharisees are all up in arms fighting battles over who he is, if he's the Messiah or if he's not. I don't really know yet, but I'm going to tell you one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. And we talked about the principle of experience. And we learned that in your circumstance, that is your opportunity. That is God's handcrafted situation that he made for you so that you can experience and know God personally for yourself. Whatever you're dealing with this morning, whether it's relational in your marriage, if it's financial, if it's emotional, if it's pressure and stress and anxiety, if it's a deadline that's looming over your head, if it's a bill that's not paid yet, if it's a faith issue, if it's fear that you need to be delivered from, a bondage, if it's a sickness, and I could go on and multiply examples. I'm trying to tell you this morning that whatever your personal area is, nobody else in the room might even know what it is about. They might even know the battle that you're facing. And you know something? That's not even what's critical because God knows and he's never left you. He's never going to. And he's saying to you, I'm going to get down into this mess with you and I'm not even afraid to create a little bit of mess to get you out of your mess and I'm going to bring you through this and make your mess a message. Amen. Now if you're going to praise him, come on and do it. Number three, we moved to last week. We talked about in Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha are in the presence of Jesus. He's come to visit them and Martha is busy. She's so consumed with all of her committees that she's on down at the local church and she's just putting all her time in at school and the PTA and she's just encumbered about with many things. She is overwhelmed. She's anxious. And she gets ticked off. She looks at Jesus and she says, Jesus, Mary is just sitting here. I'm in the kitchen. It's hot. I'm, I am slaving over this stove. I'm in, a, I'm in a meltdown trying to get some stuff cooked for you. And Jesus said, that's not even what it's about, Martha. Settle down. Mary's chosen the better part. It's not going to be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. He looked at a busy woman and he told her, you've left something off your to-do list. It's the most important thing. Everybody say priority. priority. Second thing last week dealt with this same concept in the principle of importance. And that was the rich young ruler who had obeyed the commandments from his youth. And he said, Master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I've never committed adultery. 
I don't have any gods that are false gods that I worship. I don't steal from anybody. I don't lie. You know, he was moving from an external concept of the law. And I just want to tell you this. I've gone all week long and I haven't broken any of the commandments. I, I know what the young man was talking about. That's possible. I've not bowed down to worship a false god. I've not erected a, an idol out of stone or wood and, and, and worshipped any kind of idol. I've not taken the name of God in vain. That's number three. I've shown up to, to honor the Sabbath because, to keep it holy, to worship God. I've honored my parents, number five. I haven't killed anybody this week. That's number six. I haven't committed adultery. That's number seven. I haven't stolen from anybody. That's number eight. I haven't lied this week. That's number nine. I bore false witness. I haven't coveted my neighbor's really nice boat with an inboard engine. And I really am having. I was making a joke. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? I've gone all week long and I haven't broken those ten. And that was the same way this young man was talking and what the Pharisees of his day and this young man who was very much concerned about keeping the externalities of the law failed to recognize there's a whole inward aspect of the law that many times people never deal with. It's the aspect of my thoughts. It's things that I didn't do that I should have done. And when you start to gather all of those things together, you recognize that none of us is without sin. Victory is a perfect place for imperfect people. We love you. We receive you because the man whom God says is the set man, and you're looking at him, who basically where the buck stops, where the final authority, I'll stand before God. Jesus is the final authority. But in terms of humanity here in this place, though we have Leaders that share that authority with me and accountability and checks and balances are there. Ultimately, I'm the one that's going to stand before God and be judged for how this work is built and how we touch the delta and how the kingdom of God is advanced, whether it is or not. I'm the one that will stand before God and give an account. And so with that regard this morning, it is critical. I tell you, let me just say this, I'm still not perfect. Does that surprise any of you this morning? I, I know a couple of you are shocked. A couple of you that have been along with me longer than a week know, you already know that's, that that's a true statement. Why am, why am I emphasizing that? Because in so many places, people have been far enough away from where they used to be. They've forgotten how Jesus saved them. And when people who are unchurched walk into those churches this morning... There is, a, there is an immediate self-righteousness and a holier-than-thou looking down that long nose of, of self-righteous, unbiblical holiness. And, and people coming in that are looking for an answer. They're looking, they want their lives to change. They're, they're not satisfied. They're, they're seeking for something more. And then they're greeted by a group of people that are self-righteous and judgmental and condemning. And I just want to tell you, nobody has a right to be that way in this place because we all know every one of us are cracked pots. Are you with me this morning? God is working on all of us. He is changing every one of us, and I'm thankful for that. This morning we move into our last one, the principle of practice. I want to look very quickly into Philippians chapter 3. Just give me a second to read this because the text is so powerful. Paul writes to the Philippian church. It was one of his prison correspondences. He was in the jail 
And he was writing to, during this season, the, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus. He wrote to Philemon and he wrote to 2 Timothy. All of those were prison correspondence letters. He's chained to two praetorium guards. And he's writing these letters to the church. And at Philippi, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. There was a group of Judaizers that were attempting to move among the early New Testament established churches and try to make people, especially in Galatia, more so even than Philippi. But this was moving throughout the church trying to make people Jews before they became Christians and preaching this whole principle of circumcision. You've got to be circumcised in the flesh. And so Paul says in verse 3, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about the way we always did things because Jesus has come and changed that. It's not the flesh, but it's circumcision of the heart now. Verse 4 of Philippians 3, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's basically saying, look guys, you think you've got a reason to boast? Matter of fact, another translation says it that way. If anybody can boast, I can, Paul says. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was held in high esteem even among the 12 tribes. The first king of Israel, Saul, was of the tribe of Benjamin. And so basically Paul is saying this, look, if anybody's got a right to brag, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was born to the tribe of Benjamin. He says a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. Now, Typically in the 21st century, in late 20th, early 21st century now, we tend to think Pharisee equals hypocrite. That's not at all what it meant in Paul's day. A Pharisee was somebody who was very much concerned, in love with God, in love with God so much to the point that they were trying to keep every letter of the law and doing as I described it to you a moment ago, very, very righteous, upstanding people, but taking it to the point of being condemnational and judgmental of everyone else around them, erecting additional laws called fence laws that they would attempt to keep so that they would never get close enough to the actual law of God to break it. And it was just putting on the backs of the people all these unnecessary burdens. So a Pharisee was a group of people that were very respected in that day, but they were stringent and strident. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's literally saying, look, I kept it. I know what it is to keep the externalities of the law of God. He says, but whatever gain I had, verse 7... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I know a more modern translation says dog dung. I count it as dung. It is awful. It is the very lowest of rubbish. It's not just trash you throw away, but this is refuse. I count all that stuff as loss. It is just, it's good fertilizer. That's it, that's it right there. Help me. Thank you, Holy Ghost. 
Everybody look at your neighbor and say, it's good fertilizer. Amen. <laughs> All that stuff, he says, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, verse 12, this is where it's coming into our text. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. That's for the folks who take the finished work to the extreme and basically think they're already glorified and are manifested sons of God, which is hogwash. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Remember, the world defines you by what you do and what you have, but the kingdom defines you by who you are and who has you. Let me get that again. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Say this with me. I belong to him. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. There it is right there. There's the one thing. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, same Greek word as perfect, those of us that are mature, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Four more verses and I'm finished. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, not heavenly things. Everybody say one thing. See, there's all kinds of things that are grappling for your attention, but we've got to bring it down to one thing. One thing I desire, my passion for Christ. One thing I know, my experience of God in my life personally. One thing is needful. Jesus is the most important thing. One thing I lack, that's to make him first in everything. And finally today in this message, one thing I do, the principle of practice, what I do over and over and over and over and over and over again. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, hear these words of hope, saints. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. That's when it's finished right there. That's when His work in us is completely perfected. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Now, what, do I, what am I talking about when I talk about the principle of practice? I have just a very few piano students. I don't teach in the summer, but in the fall and the spring semesters, I have two afternoons a week, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, that I teach about 10 or 12 piano students because it starts after school at 3 o'clock, runs till about 6, two days a week. Because I, I have a heart to take 
the gift that God has given me that's been developed into a skill and to be able to, to build it into another generation. Plus, at the same time, it's helped me to put my son through school and keep some bills paid. And as our church is growing, and just to give a little another stream of income. And so that's been a blessing to me as well. And I teach these kids because they've all grown up hearing this phrase, practice makes what? Say it again. Practice makes. And that's not true. Practice, if anything, makes permanent. But only perfect practice makes perfect. I have some little kids that are excited, and some of them that have been with me long enough, they recognize how important it is to walk out of this lesson this week with me, knowing how they're supposed to practice this new technique, this new chord structure, this particular scale with these fingers. Because as you do things over and over and over, you begin to develop muscle memory. It's the same way when you guys get on the golf course and you develop a golf swing. And guess what? If you learn how to do it the wrong way because you have practiced it so much, what you do with your practice is you make what you do become permanent. Practice makes permanent what you do over and over and over and over again. Matter of fact, if we, def- if we define the word practice, it is the idea of a repeated behavior or act. You practice it. You know, that's a little unnerving when you start to think about doctors who <laughs> practice medicine. Amen. Thank God for, for medicine. Sometimes I'm wondering if they're not practicing something new on me. Are you with me this morning? I teach my children that take piano from me. Perfect practice makes perfect. So let's do this three or four times to to, to get the technique right. Because I don't want you to spend 20 minutes every day doing it wrong. And then you've got five or six days of building this into your muscle memory. Because you go through the motions and you do it over and over and over and over and over. And things that you repeat, things by repetition that you get into you over and over and over become second nature to you. And you do them without thinking. We live that way on a daily basis, how we react to folks when we're put in circumstances. Sometimes the memory of our old nature, which is supposed to be dead and buried and gone, but the way we used to live and act can come out of our actions. Because somebody said to me one time, and I put it up on Facebook here a few weeks ago. Actually, it wasn't a said to me. It was out of a book that I'd read, and it was awesome. It was one of Mark Batterson's books. He said, you know what? It's a whole lot easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Think about that. Bernie, what's the score? Four to one, Germany. <laughs> See, I knew all you were you're thinking about that anyway. Everybody's wondering who's winning the World Cup. So just come on back to me now. Back to what's here. I've set your mind at ease. It's Germany four, England one. Okay. All right. So we do it over and over and over and over again. And when we do that, we start to think a certain way. And when I'm put into a circumstance and I'm pressed and I'm offended or I'm aggravated or I'm frustrated, it's in that moment where I do what I do without thinking because I've practiced my life that way. If it's getting my mouth in gear before I'm able to discipline myself and get my mind in motion or make my heart rein it in. Come on, somebody. If it's, if it's letting the tendency that I personally have to, to have anger. Now, I'm not talking about me this morning. I'm just putting it in first person so, you know, all the rest of you can just listen. Just enjoy because nobody, everybody else in the room is okay. I'm just talking about me, okay? 
no matter what it is, it's if, if I've been used to living this way and Jesus comes into my heart and he wants to be Lord over that. He wants to drive out that giant of rage. He wants to tear down that walled city of Jericho in my life, in my personality. Well, I can't help it. This is the way I was raised. This is the way my parents did. My daddy did it this way. Well, guess what, honey? You don't have to keep living like that because you were born again. Matter of fact, nobody, nobody should ever say I was born this way if you're a new believer because you've been born again. You're a new creation. And so it's this whole principle of practice. What am I practicing? I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind because what I think about my life, what I think about my situation, God has got to put on some fresh glasses so I can begin to look to the Word and I begin to see myself the way God sees me. I begin to see this thing finished. I begin to see myself robed in a robe of righteousness. I'm not just the same old sinner with a new chance. But I've got a new nature working on the inside of me, motivating me, animating me. But sometimes the memory of the old kind of raises its head up. And that's when I have to bring about this issue of crucifying that, which is still hanging around sometimes. Because it's easier to act like a Christian. Man, I can put it on. I can get that cassette-shaped smile. (laughs) Glory to God. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. How's, how's your wife? Oh, we divorced a year ago. Well, pray, I'm blessed, though. Praise God. Maybe some of you, that might be a blessing. I'll leave that alone. I, I'll probably get an email or letter over that. I didn't mean it like it sounded. God is always about covenant keeping. Just, I need to go on before I keep, keep digging. All right, all this... And I've got four points. I'm going to hit it real quick. We're in a race for a prize. Everybody say a race. race. The prize is not heaven. The prize is not heaven. I just read to you Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. If you're a believer, your citizenship is in heaven. You are a citizen of heaven right now, even though you live in this place. Why did Paul talk like that? Because he was talking to a Roman colony. The Philippi was a colonized place that was under the government of Rome, which was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from there. It was a colony. It was governed by law from another location. Just as you are a citizen of heaven and you are now a part of a company of believers and we are a colony of heaven, Philippi was a Rome away from Rome. This place in the community of faith that we have is supposed to be a heaven away from heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. You're not running a race hoping that you can get good enough that when you cross that finish line and you, you stick your, water, your feet in the water of Chile Jordan and Peter opens the gates and the books are open and you stand before God and you're hoping that you've had enough good deeds and you've been righteous enough in helping enough grannies across the street, and you've bought enough Girl Scout cookies and all of those things. It's nothing about that. It's not about anything about running a race trying to win the prize of heaven. Heaven is yours now. If you're a believer, you, are, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He lives on the inside of you. You are his son. You're his daughter. Listen, Paul used all kinds of illustrations. He talked about military. He said that we, we've got a battle. We've got to put on armor. He used agricultural illustrations. He says, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. 
He used architectural illustrations and analogies. He said, we're the temple of the living God. God is a wise master builder. But in this particular location, he's using an Olympic illustration. Paul was famous for, for, for using these illustrations because he loved the Olympics. Paul today, I guarantee if he was with us, he'd be sitting on the back row with his phone checking the World Cup score while whoever was up here preaching, saying amen. Because he loved the Olympics. He loved the contest. He talked about pressing on for the mark of the prize. He talked about wrestling. He talked about running a race with patience. Hebrews chapter 12, he, he talked about beating his body and he talked about boxing. He, he gave us all of these amazing analogies from the Olympics. And what you fail to realize sometimes is when folks interpret this with a works-based kind of a mentality is they think they're running a prize trying to get to heaven and heaven's already yours if Jesus lives in your heart. You're trying to run for a reward because I want to tell you this this morning. You had to be a citizen even to participate in the games. And he tells us that at the close of this chapter. Our citizenship is in heaven. Everybody say, I am his. He is mine. You are a child of God this morning. You were born with a destiny and with a purpose and with a calling. And what you are running as a reward for is to fulfill that and complete it, to make your life count, to see the destiny for which God birthed you and grabbed a hold of you and apprehended you and died for you and reached down when you didn't even have a taste for him and grabbed a hold of you when you weren't looking for him. Scripture says, none of us sought the Lord. There's none good, no, not one. I think it's amusing these days among church growth folks where they talk about seekers. And, you know, Scripture says nobody seeks God. I understand their principle of, uh, of trying to bring it in such a way, in a relevant way, to be able to penetrate the heart of the postmodern mind today. I, I realize there are ways that we are able to do this. The same way you preach the gospel in Africa is not the same way that you do in the Philippines or the same way that you do in Harlem in New York or the same way you do in a ghetto somewhere or the same way you do among folks that are affluent. You bring something to bear. It's going to penetrate the hardness of their hearts because every one of those people need Jesus. But what you have to realize is that we're not running this thing for heaven. We're in a race for a prize and the prize is all about us fulfilling something. Point number two, you need to recognize this morning that you are no longer defined by your past. Say that with me. I am no longer defined by my past. You need to, you need to let that soak in this morning. Because being defined by our past, the scripture literally says here, I one thing I do, and it's, it's like two sides of the same coin. It almost sounds like there's two or three, three things. He says, because forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward. And he says, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He said, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. It's almost like the two sides of that coin of repentance it's, it's when I turn from sin, I turn to God. But the focus is not on me turning from sin, but it's to get my eyes on Jesus. And when I turn to him, I'm automatically turning from what I used to do, what I used to be. It's the same principle here of I'm turning away from, I'm forgetting what gripped me in the past, whether it's a failure 
whether it's a marriage that did go south, whether it was a job or a, a business that you invested your life and poured your dreams into, whether, whether it was believing and trusting God for a dream that didn't come to pass, but it seemed like it ended in failure, don't give up too quickly because God has a way of burying something so that it can really die, and then he raises it back up to be better than you ever dreamed it could be in the first place. Forgetting what lies behind, our failures, our sins, our past habits, something that you've done in the past. Maybe it's not just about what you've done that you have let define you. Maybe it's something that happened to you. There are people that are sitting here in the sound of my voice this morning who were abused as children. And let me tell you something, we do not speak lightly about that. Those are heinous things that have been done Sometimes by people that we trust and who love us. Whether it's physical abuse or verbal abuse or, God forbid, sexual abuse. People in this room have endured that kind of stuff and it marked your life and it defined you. And people have hurt you and they've said things about you. And people have set out who you loved and trusted and you thought had your back. And they've stabbed you in the back and you've found out about it recently. Let me tell you something. You have to forget what lies behind whether it's a failure of your own and your sin or whether it's someone who has offended you and hurt you from the past, whether it's something that didn't turn out the way you expected. Oh, God, help us as Christians so many times. And listen, I am not throwing stones at, at, at some of the guys who preach and they, they captivate the most huge crowds, but you never hear them really deal with this issue of suffering in the gospel because it's all about a nice positive message and just think better thoughts and God will bring you a better life. And positive thinking is important. I, I, I think there's a difference, though, between psychological positive thinking and true faith that is grounded in the Word of God that doesn't deny circumstances. It doesn't say, I'm not sick when you're burning up with 104 fever. It doesn't say I, that report is not there. But it makes a choice to look above to a higher law, to a greater promise from God. Are you hearing me this morning? Forgetting what lies behind, straining to what lies ahead. People have hurt you. You've made a known failure in your own life. Everybody say forgive. Forgive means to release from the penalty. If Jesus has forgiven you, then you need to forgive you. You need to forgive and release everybody else. Of all of the requests in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the only one that had a condition attached to it was, forgive us as we forgive those. In other words, if I hold somebody in penalty because they've hurt me, or even if I hold myself in unforgiveness, I stay in a place of torment because of not releasing the past. Joseph, powerful testimony from the Old Testament book of Genesis, dreamed a dream and he just got out there and he, he, he had an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, told everybody about it. Should have kept his mouth shut. He got out there and he said some things he shouldn't have said, told his brothers, guess what? I dreamed last night that the sun and the moon and the stars, they all bowed down before me. I dreamed that everybody had a sheaf of wheat and all of your sheaves bowed down to mine. That ended up happening 
but telling it too quickly, especially telling your dreams to half-brothers. You need to make sure when you tell your dreams to somebody, it's a brother from another, not, not another mother. It's a brother from the same mother. Because they've got your heart. A lot of half-brothers out there. You know the story. He was thrown into the pit. He was petted by his daddy, Israel, Jacob. He was pitted in the house of Potiphar. And finally, he came out of prison. He was putted on the throne. Petted, pitted, potted, and putted, you know. That's an old Brother Kelly Varner message. Guy that was, I was trained under years ago. But you know, when Joseph got to Egypt, it wasn't there until he had a wife and he began to birth some sons. And God had done such amazing work at him that he named his first son Manasseh. Does anybody know what Manasseh means? Forgetfulness. Everybody say forgetfulness. He happened to say, God, I know that my brothers meant this for evil, but I know that you meant it for good to save many people alive. God can redeem your failures from the past. He can even use the things that people have done to hurt you, even deliberately. He can take a mess and make a message. You know what? He didn't stop with his first son, Manasseh. He had another son, Ephraim, which means double portion or also means fruitfulness. Some of you want to have success in your life. You want to be fruitful in every aspect, have the peace of God, the plenty of the Lord. You can't birth fruitfulness until you birth forgetfulness. That's the most powerful thing I've said all morning right there. When you can birth forgetfulness and release your past, forget what lies behind, then God will help you to birth fruitfulness. You want your business blessed. You want your marriage to flourish. you got to let some stuff from the past go. Your past no longer defines you. Say that with me. My past no longer defines me. Now, you know what? I have one more thing in this point, and I'm going to move on. Your past is not only your failures. Your past is not only people who have hurt you and offended you, but your past is your accomplishments. It's good things too. Your past, sometimes the greatest enemy of success in your future is success in your past. Because you have the tendency to think that it worked that time, therefore God's got to do it the same way from now on. Well, we've always done church this way, therefore that's the way it's supposed to be done. And we don't realize that every generation there have been significant changes. Every generation, God always offers a fresh move to a new group that go without the camp, Hebrews 13, bearing the reproach because God's doing something new, because it's outside the parameters of the accepted, generally accepted worship principles, because it's outside the way folks have done it, because God's always going. Every time he comes in church history and he moves, he offers to the last group that he moved on the opportunity to move on. And then when they don't move on, those who were persecuted in the last generation become the persecutors of the new move of God. Catholics persecuted the Lutherans because they were preaching justification by faith. And in eight short years, when Hubmeyer began to preach believers' baptism, the Lutherans who were the persecuted by the Catholics joined with the Catholics to become the persecutors of the next line of God restoring truth in the body of Christ. Watch what you do with this thing right here. 
I'm going to say it again. Watch what you do with this thing right here. Because God's listening. He's watching all the time. Paul's confidence is in the flesh, he says. If anybody had that, he said, I could, but I'm not going to put my confidence there. All this stuff that I did, Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, eighth day circumcised, born of the tribe of Benjamin, all this righteousness under the law, all that stuff I counted as dung. When I forget what lies behind and I strain toward what lies ahead, I want you to recognize this morning that faith is future focused. Say that with me. Faith is future focused. I have to strain to what lies ahead. Some people believe that this was a foot race. Others believe it was a chariot race, and I agree with the last. I think it was a chariot race because it's this whole principle of sitting on this platform with these two wheels, and you're balancing this behind this horse, and you're leaning forward into this thing to cross that finish line. You're straining forward. What was around the bend back here, the failure that was in my life, the the hurt, the offense, the wound, and not just the negative stuff, but I've got to forget even the successes, the triumphs, the accomplishments. Because if I hold them too tightly, I start to think that God's got to do the same thing the same way all over again. And and God's, God's too creative to be bound to that. He wants to do something new in your lives this morning. I'm trying to convince you of what God sees, how He sees you. Because this morning, so many of you have on a bad pair of glasses. And you see everything through a world because you've been rejected in the past. You put on these rejection glasses and you start to see rejection in every activity of anybody around you. And you think that people don't love you. You know what? You need to let God deal with that. You need to forget that. You need to forgive that. You need to release that so God can birth fruitfulness in your life. Forget the failure. Forget the wounding. Forget the offense. Forget it and move on. Forget it by forgiving it. You make a choice. I don't feel like forgiving that person. They hurt me badly. You know, Let me tell you something. They probably have forgotten about it. Probably don't even know that they hurt your feelings. They're, they've moved on with their life. This morning, when I'm holding something against somebody else, it's not hurting that other person. It's hurting me. It's put me in prison of torment. I've got to forgive it, and I've got to forget it. This is the one thing that I do that I learn how to practice. I let the past go, and I press toward the future. Because faith is not focused on the past. I'm thankful to God, my little sweet mom who's 85 years old, still talks about what God has for her. And it's not all about a nostalgic look back. There were some glory days. There were some amazing things God did in her life. My grandfather was a healer in the church of God. I don't care what you think about that. Sick people dropped off at 138 Pecan and they left healed. You're crazy, Pastor. No. You just don't know. She grew up seeing my grandfather and grandmother lay hands on sick people and and seeing them get well. That marked her life. It defined her. She grew up as a young woman of faith. She and Aunt Lucille and Frida May, who was the wife of an evangelist, sang all over the country, a little trio in the 1940s. Andrew's sister's kind of harmony. Sang with the Blackwood brothers over here, Ellis Auditorium. I mean, these, these chicks were good. 
Mama, I'm sorry I called you a chick. It's okay today. And in 2010, it's not the same thing it was in 1950. <laughs> but even in all of the great things that she's seen, the moves of God, she's still saying, I'm so excited what God's doing in our church. I'm excited to see God saving new people. I'm excited to see... I'm excited to see, even though she took the stage and sang in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at a time, strapped on her guitar and walked around the room singing, We are looking for the stone that was hewn out of the mountain. We are looking for the stone that came rolling down through Babylon, tearing down the kingdoms of this world. And they'd go march around the room and find a Bible that they'd hidden in a crowd of several hundred people. We have found the stone that was... A lot of memories, a lot of amazing things she's seen God do. But she has a future focus, a faith that is still straining ahead for something greater that God has. I believe you can have that at 85. I believe you can have that at 105. I believe that you can lose that at 15. And you can be so focused on a wound or a hurt or a failure or a mistake or a sin or even gripped by the pride of success and an accomplishment that it hinders us from the greatness that God still wants to take us into. Let me finish this this morning. One guy said this. He was an influential man, a bishop in his church. He said, It is impossible for men in the future to fly like birds. Flying is reserved for the angels. Do not mention that again, lest you be guilty of blasphemy. Does anybody know who said that? Milton Wright, in 1870, he was a minister in the Church of the United Brethren in Christ. He was the father of Wilbur and Orville Wright. Let me give you the quote again. Those boys over there that wouldn't quit in their bicycle shop trying to, to tape wings onto them, dreaming of flying, straining toward the future, Forgetting what everybody said in the past can't be done. If I paid attention to all the voices that said you can't do it, I would have quit a long time ago. He said, it's impossible for men in the future to fly like birds. Flying is reserved for the angels. Do not mention that again lest you be guilty of flat blasphemy. What is amazing to me is he so coats this in a guilt-written legalism. Boys! And thank God they look beyond... The, the nearsightedness, the short-sightedness, the lack of faith and vision of their own daddy who was supposed to be a man of the Spirit, a man of faith, a man of vision. And thank God they did because in less than a hundred years, man went from horse and buggy to the moon because some folks forgot what was behind and kept straining toward what was in the future. That's just, that's just human potential right there. That's not even talking about God being anointed in your life. To help you carry out your dreams. Am I helping somebody in this room this morning? You're in a race. It's not for heaven. Heaven is your home. This is about now. It's about God giving you a destiny. My last point this morning. The goal is to know Him and to fulfill your calling. To fulfill your calling. Do you know that you have a call of God on your life? Brenna. What an amazing woman of God you are. I, I, right now, I have to 
discipline myself. Just I know the pain that you've been through the last few years. I don't understand it. I, 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 when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, what was that all about? I don't understand it. But I know God has done something in that breaking and in that pain in your heart that's given you a compassion that's reached into the hearts of some women that's touching them and God's going to do something with you in such a powerful way. I'm prophesying right now. Some stuff in the past that's still, still to some degree is very present. I could look around the room this morning and I want to tell you, I, I love you people. You can't, words don't even describe. I can't tell you how much I love you and how I intercede for you and how I cry out for you and how I hurt for you when I know that you're hurting and how when the dreams for a second, it looks like God has put the pause button on the heavenly DVD player and he's, it's like Moses had these deliverer's dreams that sent him to the backside of the desert and when he got to the place that he thought it was no longer possible and he'd forgotten about it. Then God torched a bush and said, Mo, come check this out, baby. You remember what you used to dream about? Well, it's time. Are you got to be kidding me, God? He was 80, 80 years old when God said, you've been out of it 40 years, I'm going to send you back in. You've been in the showers, you've been on the bench, but you're going back in the game. I don't care what you've done in this room. I don't care what the decision you made that was wrong. I don't care the circumstance that you've been through that you know you blew it. Let me tell you something. God is able to redeem that if you can get forgiveness for it by asking Him. And it's just as simple as this. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's gone. It is obliterated. It is done away with. The past is the past and you are no longer defined by it. And you can forget what lies behind and you can strain for what lies ahead because God has a calling on your life. Calling is not just for preachers who stand in pulpits. Let me tell you something. The most important Important calling. It's just like thinking that the, the, the football team is all about who the coach is. The coach doesn't even get on the field. The coach is there to take all of those players and show them if you will get in this place and if you will run this play like this, if you will eat properly, if you'll feed yourself. Come on, I'm talking spiritually as well as physically. Come on, hear me. If, you, if you'll show up and exercise, if you'll, if you'll go through the, the, the proper kinds of practices and do them every day and do them with all of your heart and practice them perfectly, if you'll spend time in prayer, if you'll get in the Word, if you'll show up and worship and do it with a good attitude and not get in little huddle and criticize the coach. If you'll catch a vision and everybody on that team can catch a vision of finding their place and doing what they're supposed to do and quit trying to have their finger in everybody else's business. Let the defensive team do the defense. Let the offensive team run the offense. Let the kicker be the kicker. Somebody's hearing me this morning. 
It's when teams like that catch a vision for doing something great that they go and capture the title and they win the Super Bowl and they become the world champions. And this is not for a crown that perishes. It's not for a laurel. It's not for a wreath. It's not for something that is perishing. We are trying to build a team here where every one of you catch a vision for the greatness to which God has called you and you have an important part. You have something to do. You have something to play. And it's not to sit around and tell everybody else where they're wrong. But it's to find that place and to seek God and to cry out with all of your heart and say, God, I'll let the past be the past and I'm pushing into the future for great things. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Abraham Kuyper said this, In the total expanse of human life, there's not a single square inch of which the Christ who alone is sovereign does not declare, That is mine. The whole world is the Lord's. This does not belong to the devil. He may be the God of this age, this world system, but he's not the God of my world because I've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and now I'm a citizen of another place. I'm being ruled by a higher law. I'm a colony of heaven away from heaven. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? You don't have to live by the fashion or the design or the rudiments of this world. But we're called to a higher life, a higher way. My questions, and I'm applying this and we're finished. Are you more past or future focused? Which has more influence in your life? When you talk, what's coming out? Is it about how wonderful things used to be? Or is it about the expectation of what God yet has for you? Is your faith future focused? What do you need to forget and let go of? What do you need to press toward to see God's call realized in your life? Bow your heads with me this morning for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice today. Lord, with all of my heart, I have labored to deliver the burden of the Lord. And I know that there are people right now Father, who've heard something way down deep on the inside. There's some hope that has been birthed alive inside them that they no longer have to be defined by their past. All of that is under the blood of Jesus. It is B.C., before Christ. I just want to say, first of all, I want to direct this. In this prayer time, there are people sitting here in the sound of my voice that if you were to stand before God and he would say, why should I let you into my heaven? You wouldn't have an answer for him other than to say, hey, I've done the best I could and that's not going to get us anywhere. I've, I've preached the gospel this morning. The gospel is, is that God the Father in his righteous and holiness sent down the answer for us in our rebellion and our sin and our disobedience. And he sent a son who didn't just die for us, but he lived for us. He lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. And he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to say to you right now, in this prayer, I'm going to pray for you. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never trusted in Jesus... And you want to say, Jesus, I need you. I, I'm in a mess. I am blind. I can't see. I'm bound. I need to be free. Whatever your circumstance, that place where you can know him personally, 
It may be a habit, bondage of some kind. You know what? It's not so much about that one temporary thing. It's about your personal soul right now. It's dead. God needs to make it alive. And how he does that is by you saying, Jesus, come into my heart. I put my trust in you. Be my Savior and be my Lord. And this morning as I offer that prayer to you, I'm going to ask if you would, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you to the front, we're going to offer something to you at the end at a little fresh start table in the back. That's the only thing we ask you to do. But I want you to do too today. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, would you just slip your hand up right now? If you want to know him, if you want to say, Pastor, I want to deal with it today. Is there anybody in the room? Anybody who would say, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm going to pray this prayer right now. Any hands? All right. Those of you that are sitting here this morning, and you've felt touched by this word that your past no longer defines you. I'm going to pray you right now that God helps you to take steps to birth forgetfulness. To forget what lies behind. And to strain toward what lies ahead. And for your focus to be on the future and on faith. And I'm talking to believers now. If there's anybody in this room, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, you've heard the Lord speak to your heart. And you, you want to put the past in the past. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you all over the room. Yes, that's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's about a dozen all over the room. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the word of the Lord that sets free. Thank you that Jeremiah said it was like fire and the people like wood. Lord, that it was like a hammer and the people like a rock that is broken. God, we submit ourselves to the power of your word this morning, and we thank you that you set on fire, Lord, everything of the flesh from the past. Lord, every failure, every sin, every wound, every hurt, Lord, we've done things and hurt ourselves. We've done things and hurt others. People have done things and hurt us. And Lord, we will no longer let that define us. We make a choice right now and we say, I forgive. And I just want you right now under your own breath, you don't have to say it out loud, but you can just see that thing that you did or you can see that person who hurt you and just say it right now, say, I forgive. In Jesus' name, we release it. Lord, I make the choice. Whether I leave this room feeling like it's gone or not, I take the first step in faith and I forgive, I release, I forgive myself, I forgive that person, I forgive that church in the past, that pastor, maybe somebody in this room, maybe me. I choose to forgive and Lord, we release it and I strain for what's ahead. I look to the future in faith. And I thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, Put your hand.